And we're back for another episode of Startup Hustle, a podcast for entrepreneurs by entrepreneurs. If you want to start, own, or build a business, then you're in the right place. We bring you the real truth about what it's like to take something from concept to launch, from growth, innovation, experience, failing, or winning big, we've got you covered. So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io. And we're back with another episode of the Startup Hustle. This is your host today, Matt Watson. Excited to be joined today with Neil Hanch. We're going to be talking about corporate and startup partnerships and collaboration. Um, he is with the Silicon Foundry, which is an organization that specializes in helping um, corporates with, with this kind of stuff. We're going to talk all about it today. Um, definitely a topic that I'm excited about. I feel like, you know, as a company, there's always so much stuff we want to do and we can't do all of it. And I always feel like working with entrepreneurs to do things that that we could do and um, spin things out is a, is a great deal. So excited to have this conversation today. Um, today's episode of Startup Hustle is powered by FullScale.io. Hiring software developers is difficult. FullScale can help you build a software team quickly and affordably and has the platform to help you manage that team. Visit FullScale.io to learn more. Neil, welcome to the show, man. Excellent. Thank you for having me and happy holidays. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you are in Silicon Valley and um, with the Silicon Foundry. So tell us a little bit about your background and how you got to do what you're doing today. Excellent. I always love telling that story. Um, so I'm, yes, as you said, I'm sitting here in Silicon Valley, which is where headquarters for our business here at Silicon Foundry is based. My background, I moved out here to the Bay Area in the late 90s, or otherwise known as Internet 1.0. Uh, the go-go days uh, started as a, an investment banker. So taking many of those uh, early internet wave of companies public, um, and then transitioned over to be a venture capitalist. So I was investing in late stage companies and then uh, early stage companies for the 15 years that followed. Um, was then in corporate development at Adobe, their Macromedia uh, before that. And finally joined here at Silicon Foundry six or seven years ago. And the, the through line of all those experiences was um, being you know, in the ecosystem um, either being in backing startups, you know, at startups, an investor in startups, or on the corporate side, trying to identify the right emerging companies to either be a customer or a partner or an acquirer of. And so I joined Silicon Foundry because that ecosystem and the intersection points of those interests and party A, finding the right party B to work with and collaborate with, that's the core of our business today. So I sort of lived the challenges uh, as a practitioner. And so I saw the, the need and the opportunity to bring a service to the market, which is which is the core of our business here at Foundry. Well, I feel like for a lot of us, kind of once we've got the um, the startup itch, entrepreneurial itch, like we're, we always want to be part of that ecosystem in one way or another. So it sounds like you've been on all sides of it. Um, so I guess you mentioned being on the VC side, did you ever, uh, invest anything that was a, a grand slam? I was curious if you had any, had any big winners from those days. Yeah. Well, so the, the first firm I was at, and I can't take credit for leading the investment myself, but you know, the big names there were companies like Netflix and Expedia uh, and others. Wow. Uh, when, we, when we took companies public, it was guys like E-Trade, you know, which were, were 
creating the online uh, uh, market there. And so, yeah, a lot of those kind of bellwether, you know, 1.0, 2.0 uh, type names. Wow, and, nice. Um, and so, you know, now I date myself as we looked at, at companies and go, oh, I saw an opportunity like that 15 years ago, but it was ahead of its time. And now those, a lot of those types of companies are, you know, um, now there's the mobile penetration and other things where now they're, they were ideas before that didn't quite make it, but now they're, many of them are flourishing because all the other um, elements in the, in the stew in the pot are there. Um, so yeah, it was just some of the, some of the types of, of companies we were backing. So tell me a little more about Silicon Foundry and what you guys do. So you you describe it as these big corporates kind of pay you guys as advisors. Is, is, is that a fair statement? And then is your goal to help them find companies that they could acquire or partner with or they could start some of their own kind of startups and spin out? Like what what all kinds of things do you help them with? Yes. So yes, yes, yes. So yeah, so our, our the heart of our business is we work for the Fortune 2000. So this may be companies based in uh, Europe, Asia, US, Midwest of the US, LATAM. And ultimately, we know their areas of interest. And they're trying to understand what's coming, uh, understand the landscape of emerging new technologies, platforms, you know, business model innovation services, um, and, you know, as we think about it, there's so much noise out there. And so if you're a corporate and you're thinking about using drones, you know, and computer vision um, to accomplish, you know, inspecting your oil and gas rig out in the North Sea or your airplane um, to make sure there's no uh, issues, um, you may look out on the landscape and see 500 startups. Um, right. And our job is to help identify and say, yes, before you're trying to accomplish, these are the five. These are the best of breed emerging players and then engaging with those companies. And to your, to your question, either because you're going to be you as the corporate are going to be a customer of those companies, a partner or increasingly a strategic investor. So the rise in corporate venture capital that we've certainly seen, you know, in the past 10, 15 years, or as you referenced, one of those outcomes may be an acquirer, or you may start as a customer blossom to a partner and ultimately end up as, you know, as the corporate, we should own this business. Um, and so we, we know their interests day in, day out, and that's our marching orders. So how is that similar to somebody like Forrester or Gartner or like other industry analysts? It sounds like there's some kind of crossover there of maybe how they would use them, them as well. That's I, I, the answer is yes. I think sometimes what I'll joke is we're going to, we're in finding, discovering, qualifying, diligencing, and engaging those companies that down the road are going to be in that Gardner magic quadrant. Um, and so we're not helping to make big, you know, IT infrastructure decisions, you know, deciding between Cisco and SAP and IBM. Sure. Ours is the next, next wave, new categories, but it is, uh, I think thematically it's aligned, which is here's the landscape of options. Here's the landscape mm -hmm. of companies to consider to make a bet on. And we think the corporates, so VCs make a bet with dollars, right? And um, and some percentage of the time that works out, often it doesn't. And hopefully the winners far outweigh the losers. But the corporates, right, they're making a bet in, in dollars. They're going to train the team or they're going to roll out these solutions in their warehouses or in their retail bank branches or whatnot. So it's really much like a Gardner or others helping those senior C-suite decision makers figure right. out, you know, what's real, you know, what's, what's vaporware and ultimately what they should be betting on as their, you know, the classic term nowadays as they're digitally transforming their business. Right. And what are the right solutions to help them achieve those transformation goals? 
And you're you're trying to focus in on more the emerging market, the emerging technologies that could could help them in some way. That's exactly right. Um, it does, interestingly enough, though. So I would say, you know, seventy percent of our time is just that, right? We're really focused on the startups, and this is probably a good point to mention. Not just startups in Silicon Valley. Obviously, that's our home, and that right. still, despite the you know the the media uh, mentions, it's still the number one area in terms of of venture investment activity and new startup launches. But our mandate is to be like a meta search engine across the world. So right. if, if one of our corporates is looking for that drone solution I mentioned, it may very well come out of Tel Aviv or Shanghai or Stockholm, uh, as well you know, as coming from San Francisco or Kansas City or New York City. Um, and, uh, and so, yes, it's, it, but in addition to the startups, you know, many of these large corporates, they also want to talk to the senior executives at the tech incumbents who also have solutions to be considering, or they want to talk to the... AI researcher at, you know, choose your Stanford, you know, Berkeley, Oxford, MIT. So navigating the ecosystem, the main path of navigation is those emerging companies, but it also is the other kind of nodes as we think about it. And for these corporates to be able to dive in, you know, have those flows of insights and understanding and the right relationships as they're going through these decision-making, you know, paths and, and journeys for their own business. So one one thing that's kind of a related topic I want to ask you about for a minute is, you know, I my from my experience of selling a couple different companies is I feel like large corporations really struggle to be innovative, right? Like they become these big companies and they don't have the entrepreneurial spirit as much. They don't have the risk takers among the management team and um, they usually have to acquire it, right? Like they struggle to to innovate on themselves because it's just kind of not part of their DNA as much. I'm just curious about that that part of the topic and your your kind of insight and what you see into that. Is is that a fair statement or am I totally wrong? I think I think um said with a straight face is guilty as charged so often, right? It is it is difficult um for you know behemoth corporates to move fast, as we know. Um, it can it's difficult to be nimble uh, by the sheer nature of their size and their infrastructure and decision making processes. And if you've ever sold to an enterprise, you know, working with procurement uh, is probably the finest point of that. Um, yeah. And as we as we joke sometimes, right, um, this startup will be you know come and gone before we get to the NDA you know, being negotiated back and forth. So I, I, I say it with a smile again. It is it, it can be a challenge, and it's a challenge for for all of them. And so it's, you know, it is, it's cultural at times as well. And so it's really, in our mind, it goes back to the senior leadership um, and being able to create those pathways, those processes to streamline it so that when a large corporation is engaging with a startup, it has that ability to move. It has that ability to, as an example, define the POC or pilot program and set expectations mutually and say, look, we're going to run this for three months and here's the definition of success. And if it is successful, here's how we're going to be able to fast track rolling out the solution, you know, across our large organization. So it's a challenge. Absolutely. Um, and when we work with our, we call them members, this is, you know, it does naturally become part of that, that work with them, which is how do we ensure that um, these startups that come to the front door, you know, if they truly are best of breed and they have solutions that can be impactful, how can we ensure that that engagement happens successfully? And then the scaling thereafter 
uh, is also, you know, set up for success. Well, I think that one of the big drivers for this, for these companies has got to be is growth. You know, I sold my first company to autotrader.com and one of the first thing, one of the coolest things I ever did was went to the board board meeting with them after we sold the company and presented to the board about more about what my company did and all that stuff. And it, it was, it was a really cool thing to go to a board meeting for a really super large company like that. But for them, you know, growth was a, a key thing or acquisition was a key part of their growth strategy. You know, they had a, a product and an offering that was fairly stagnant, right? It was like a very mature company. They're not going to grow like 100% year over year or anything like that. Like their growth is 10%, 5%, 20%, whatever. It's, it's more of a, you know, incremental growth where our company was growing 100% year over year. Right. So you get a lot of these big corporates, you know, like, say, Apple or Google or Facebook, any of these kinds of companies, they're simply not going to grow at the rate that, you know, of course, the stock market wants to see them grow anymore. And the only way they're going to be able to get additional growth, incremental growth is through acquisition and these sort of partnerships. Right. I mean, is that the primary driver for for most of them? I think I think you'd hit the nail on the head. Certainly inorganic growth, growth through acquisitions is a powerful tool in their overall, you know, quiver. And I think it, it particularly is powerful when it's bringing the organization into a new market, right? Right. Or bringing a new product that otherwise they'd say, well, we can build this ourselves. And the answer is probably, yes, you can. Now, how long is it going to take for you to build yeah. it? You know, two years from now? Or, you know, you can buy this platform, this team. I think we see a lot of also, so there can be, you know, billion and multi-billion dollar acquisitions that bring like, all of what we just said. I think we're also seeing a lot of talent acquisitions, right? right. So we've, we've been engaged by a large CPG historically who's, I need 100 AI uh, and, you know, uh, ML uh, professionals and, um, and it would take them three years to recruit it, right? right? Or they can buy a team that's already been working together, already has a platform as well. So yes, I think M&A, and there's a lot of, uh, certainly we have a lot of conversation as of late of in the macroeconomic environment we're in, what does that mean in terms of M&A? activity levels and, and buying uh, uh, emerging companies. And I think there's a lot of corporates that have lots of, of cash on the balance sheet. Uh, and so you can make a case that will be even more acquisitive in 2023. Um, and uh, so, yes, I think M&A is not necessarily the outcome always in our work with the corporates, but it's certainly a tool that every single one of them has been using. And I think just will increasingly, and it also brings up the point of R&D, Where's your, you know, where's R&D coming from? Um, and I think the pendulum has continued, whether that's internal R&D efforts versus what we're talking about here, which is external. And I think so often the pendulum is continuing to move towards um, uh, more external uh, R&D um, to complement the internal R&D that's happening, which really means buying innovation in addition to the innovation that you're, de you know, you're developing, so to speak, in-house. So I'm sure most of the work you do is under a lot of confidentiality and NDAs and all that kind of stuff. But curious if you had any just examples of, of some of the um, big companies you've worked with and partnerships they've done and the outcomes of those. Uh, do you have any examples like that you can share that don't violate yeah. all sorts of confidentiality? I, I know. Um, so there is a lot of confidentiality. Uh, you know, we, we tend to be pretty forthcoming of who our members are, but the nature of the work Um uh, I would say maybe I could I touch upon the types of outcomes, um, which is maybe not the um, name of the company, but but basically everything yes. else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, major European telco, 
right? Uh, looking to find companies here to, to bring back to their network uh, overseas, right? So that's scouting for the right startups, the right gaming or AR, VR uh, startups and platforms or, you know, financial services. And so it, it's an example where um, they've got a team on the ground here, but, you know, actually a lot of folks, the, the entrepreneurs don't know, they've heard of the company, they know them from afar, um, but they don't recognize what they're interested in, right? So you think telco, maybe it's, you know, equipment for the telco, as opposed to recognizing they're interested in gaming. So if you're a gaming company based here in the States, and you want to penetrate this, this overseas Western European market, this is a prime partner for you. Um, and so a player like that and our, over our work with them uh, over several years found, you know, multiple startups that become, became, you know, um, powerful partners for them, which I think, um, taking your question a little different direction, which is also the power of course. So you referenced earlier, the challenge of startups working with corporates, but you know, the success in doing so, as you know, could be a step function in the trajectory of those startups, right? That, that corporate either a represents a big potential customer and a blue chip customer at that, right? Which provides validation and, um, and not just being a customer, then if it blossoms to a partnership, uh, they represent a channel to a whole new market. Yeah. So we've got, yes. we've got members in the, in the middle East. Uh, so the largest historically the largest shopping mall operator and hospitality operator in the middle East. And so if you're a retail tech startup, you were probably trying to sell to, you know, Nordstrom's or Westfield malls or Simon malls here in the States. And these are the ones, the kind of examples we love. We introduce them to the largest shopping mall operator across, you know, uh, the Middle East and North Africa. And that founder is, oh my God, these guys could be transformative to my business. Yeah. That, bring you, you, you bring up a great point. There's the international side of this, you know, we, so at full scale, we're based in the Philippines. And so, yeah, the types of technology, the companies, the products you see there, some of them are the same. You know, there, there are products there that, that they would use in the USA. But then you have other other services there, like a ride hailing service, like Uber is not there. It's Grab. Or they have a motorcycle sharing service called Ancus. You know, that you have these different, different, um, you know, different players. But you're, you're absolutely right. Like there's a lot of great ideas, but there might be totally different use cases for them in other different countries around the world. And, you know, if you're a startup based in the United States, like you might, that's all totally foreign to you of like, well, how would I take this and apply it in some other country? And so that is a great, a great thing you just mentioned there is being able to take that technology and partner with, with people around the world. Yeah, no, and it's an excellent point that you, that you just built on. I mean, we, for our business, we view it as we're building bridges, right? Between certainly Silicon Valley and say Dubai or, or Tokyo or Seoul mm -hmm. um, or South or, you know, uh, Johannesburg as the case may be. But we also view them as bi-directional bridges, mm -hmm. right? And just as you point, like there's innovative new technologies or services or new business models coming out of other markets. And, um, and how do those come this direction? You know, it's not all about Silicon yeah. Valley exporting all the magic, so to speak. Um, and I, you know, a personal story. So before I joined here at Foundry, I worked in Africa for four years in tech, new, new venture creation and, and venture investing. And that probably afforded one of the best examples, which was M-Pesa, um, which, you know, started in East Africa, actually from Safaricom, the telco. But this was an example where, look, there's the bank account penetration in that region, credit card penetration, de minimis. 
And so it kind of skipped over. And that was one of the, the most um, uh, pressing examples of mobile money, right? right? Where folks didn't have a bank account, but everybody had an M-Pesa account and they were using feature yeah. phones, moving money. And so as an example, so what is that? And, you know, so much innovation in Southeast Asia uh, and elsewhere. So yeah, maybe just beating a dead horse here, but that bi-directional flow of ideas and technologies and new services and certainly we saw it in the messaging apps as we all know as well depending on the part of the world you're in you're either iMessage or WhatsApp or Line yeah. uh, or WeChat and then boy look what what the the ecosystem around a WeChat and how might that inform what we will can should be doing you know here in the states or the, the kind of services we'll see coming out of Europe yeah it's it's interesting in the United States we complain about iPhones and iMessage or whatever. And then other people in Europe would just look at us like we're stupid, like we don't use WhatsApp or something, right? Like right. it's a whole whole different deal. Um, I do want to take a second to remind everybody that finding expert software developers doesn't have to be difficult, especially when you visit fullscale.io where you can build a software team quickly and affordably. Use the Fullscale platform to define your technical needs and then see what developers are available to join your team. Visit fullscale.io to learn more. And yeah, you're, the, the international part is always interesting to me because... Like in the United States, like malls are basically dead here. Like they're, you know, 10 or 20% of what they used to be in the past. But you go to like the Philippines, they have some of the largest malls in the world. It like, I was there in the summer for three weeks and I went to the mall like almost every single day. And um, the same thing, they're largely unbanked, like 70 or 80% of people don't have a bank account. So yeah, it's in, and as you can imagine, shipping things across 7,000 islands is a terrible idea. And so like online e-commerce was shipping there is a whole nother, whole nother problem. So yeah, you, you just get these different countries that have totally different, totally different things. So um, excited to uh, tell me a little more a little bit more about being in Silicon Valley these days. And do you think that it has changed from what it was 10 years ago, 20 years ago? It's, it's still, there's more capital there. There's still a lot of startups there, but you know, now with even COVID and things going, people going remote, it seems like a lot of people are leaving the, the state. Um, what, what, what do you, how do you see that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and certainly I'm, I'm going to be a bit biased as I'm voting with my feet right now as, as yeah. live here in San Francisco and have been in Silicon Valley for the better part of the last 25 years. I think the first thing I'd say is, and on a personal note, love the rise of the rest. Right, whether it's in the Philippines or in Nigeria or pick your country, but the fact that innovation and startup ecosystems are more distributed and more supported and more activity levels than ever before, um, and um, you know, I think that's what's the old saying: talent is universally distributed, opportunity is not. Uh, but yeah. I think we're seeing that that equation change, um, and. Um, and so I think Silicon Valley today, certainly the pandemic helped accelerate the, as we all know, the work from home of, hey, wait a minute, I can work for Salesforce, but I don't need to come downtown to their office every day. Um, and I think we, we're, we still see that in San Francisco itself right now, which is, and I've been in you know New York, London, Paris, and a team in elsewhere around the world. SF is slower to recover in terms of the downtown vibrancy. Um, so I think during the pandemic, we certainly saw a lot of folks move. Um, if you look at where the movement happened, actually, most of it happened in California, interestingly enough. So, you know, not that California's the, it's certainly not known for the most friendly business environment. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of the movement stayed 
regional, a lot of the movement, you know, Arizona, Austin, of course, is the bell of the ball, Miami uh, and whatnot. Again, we love that. We, we love these different ecosystems continuing to grow. Um, I think we all know building powerful ecosystems and the types of ecosystems we're talking about is measured in decades, not in yeah. months, quarters, or years, right? It's the talent base, it's the academia, it's the existing corporates uh, and whatnot. So I think um, uh, I think Silicon Valley still, you know, from that perspective, would recognize, um, you know, continue again, continues to be um, the leader. Um, and yet at the same point, um, um, I think that the, the longer term trends are uh, that, that the, um, you know, the next nine most active, you know, ecosystems are going to continue to rise at a faster, faster pace. And then, you know, probably within 50 miles of where I'm sitting today. Um, and the good news is it's not a zero sum game. It's not an either or it's not truly, it's not truly a competition. Um, and, um, uh, and I think what I also love seeing is talent that, you know, has spent time, whether it's Silicon Valley or New York or London or pick your city. And then they're moving back to their home country, back to their other comments and starting companies there, bringing that, that experience in company building and growth hacking and whatnot. So, uh, so simply put, you know, as the world has opened back up, if we look at some tangible data points, the, the, the companies we work with and the companies we're talking to, and we hope to work with, we're starting to see those visits come back where, Hey, they're going to come in town and they want to meet with seven startups and they want to meet with the tech incumbents and they want to meet with the most relevant venture backers that are you know backing those companies that are likely going to be impactful to their existing businesses for the fortune 2000. So, um, but again, the press loves, I think what's the saying, you know, you know, the death of Silicon Valley, I think about every seven years, that headline, you know, hits, uh, once again. And, um, and so to no surprise, but certainly the pandemic accelerated some of the, the trends we're talking about. Um, and, um, and I think once again, it goes all the way back to ecosystems and over time building them and supporting them and, and they're driven by talent, they're driven by the flow of capital. And, um, uh, and so if I was to fast forward for the next 10 years, would love to see how the Austins and um, Miamis and others and Chicago, and we can go on and on and on. Yeah. Um, everywhere. How they, how they rise. Yeah. Everywhere. And, and every, every city has, you know, some strength or weaknesses, right. Of, of um, there's a lot of talent or certain industries that are big in those areas, you know, like Kansas city has its unique strengths where if you want to create a company in a specific industries, like, agriculture or veterinarian science, um, automotive software, healthcare software, you know, different things that are, th there's been a lot of it here in Kansas City, it'd be a good place to go and find talent in relation to those things. And Silicon Valley has been so big for so long because they were the leader of that talent, you know, and I think that's, that's still the struggle we have in Kansas City. It's like, hey, we can find software developers and salespeople and different stuff like that. But if I want to have like a really, really good product manager who's, you know, worked at SaaS companies or product marketing at SaaS companies or whatever, like there's just not very many of those people in Kansas city. And the, that's the good thing about going remote now is uh, companies are more likely to be able to hire those people remote. So that if anything, I think will help all these other um, communities. Couldn't, could not agree more. And I'm, I'm glad we, the, the conversation had this direction. It reminds me of two things. One is so while most of our work is with the, the large, you know, multinational corporates, 
we also work with a few states uh, historically. Like we worked with the state of Michigan um, with the Office of the Chief Mobility Officer. And uh, to your point, and as we've done that work over the last number of years, just appreciation for the talent in that state. Right. And obviously, historically, so much of it was automotive industry related, but now it's really mobility more broadly. And so if you're going to start a mobility startup, right. um, regardless of where it starts, uh, as you grow, you have to be thinking, you know, do I want to go tap that talent base, yeah, you know, that absolutely. domain expertise, that sex expertise? And then a completely different point, but, and this does go back to Silicon Valley as well, but more broadly, the US, you know, I forget what the stats are, but it's something like somewhere with 30 to 40 to 50% of startups, you know, the, the founding team, it, it, or, you know, was not born in the US. Yeah. Um, right. And so it's that, that was one of the hardest challenges is, you know, immigration policy. Right. Uh, and, um, and so, you know, and so much of that is, is our borders are closed. That's another big impact, at least when we're talking about the tech industry, you know, the big impact on the influx of talent, the talent that stays here um, for their first job and to build their first and second and third and fourth company. So that's the other kind of wing of the talent conversation. Um, uh, and I think that's, you know, that's something that, um, uh, especially in the last few years, what's going to happen with that. And we see it right now, we're seeing it on the, you know, just more on the friends and family um, uh, thread. We're seeing it as companies are doing layoffs here in the Bay Area. All those folks who are here, but their visa is tied to their job at that large tech company. And so and I'd say, boy, in the next three to six months, what happens with that talent? And does it stay local or does it, you know, by, by you know, forced uh, need have to move back or, or move out to another area because of the, the visa you know, no longer being there? Yeah, I, I feel bad for all the people getting laid off these days on LinkedIn every day. It seems like I see somebody posting about it and... And yeah, I, de I definitely am concerned about those that are on those visas. Like that's just a terrible place to be. You know, it's like they've got 30 days or 60 days or whatever it is to find another job and find somebody else to sponsor them and puts right. them in limbo. Like, yeah, that's a terrible place to be. So it's, that's not good. So curious, um, have you seen um, back to the corporate side of this of them like wanting to be more entrepreneurial and creating like additional companies within the company. I know like H&R Block, I think did this in Kansas City. If you don't, if you didn't know, H&R Block is, is from Kansas City. And um, I think there's been some others that have really tried to do this. They're like, hey, you know, we we know we're big and we move slow and we, we you know, slow, we, we can't get out of our own way. How do we create like a separate organization to like go do something? Curious how often you see that and, and is anything that your work like involved in that? Yeah, uh, that is um, that's a truly excellent question. And I realized you referenced it earlier and didn't get a chance to touch upon it. Um, so, well, a little bit of history. So the foundry in our name, the original uh, thesis of Silicon Foundry was we were going to build companies with corporates, you know, that foundry metaphor. And so they were going to have an idea or we've had an idea. Um, we could ideate, launch, you know, provide the resources, bring in the entrepreneurial talent to launch new ventures. Right. Uh, and out of the gate, day one with corporates. Now, I think we might have been a little ahead of the time. Uh, you know, this would have been 10 years ago, uh, give or take, when the firm started. But I would say in the last two or three years in particular, this idea of corporates having venture studios, having new ventures are venture builders, which is, okay, where, do, where, where can live the activity of we're dreaming up a new product, a new service, a new platform? Um, it needs to have the resources. It needs to have the breathing room. 
so not probably saddled inside of an existing business unit. You know, it needs to be able to to go about the ideation process, the initial product or service build and launch. And so this is very much a topic that we see, especially the corporates are kind of on the more forward leaning on the forefront, thinking through how do we construct this? Do we do this in house? Do we do it? There's a there is a ecosystem of, of third party providers that say, hey, corporate, uh, let's work together. Um, we can manage this this you know effort this this program for you. For our business, we've probably worked with at least a half dozen of our members thinking through all of this. Um, and in one case in the Middle East, um, uh, with a group called DIFC, um, uh, it, it, we're helping think through how do they have a platform where you're attracting venture studios who may work with corporates to go about this. So yes, I think. The, the challenge is for many corporates, if they try and do this without giving it that governance, that structure, that, that you know, freedom, degrees of freedom and the right resourcing, um, then very hard to launch some of these types of new ventures, especially if maybe they're cannibalistic to an existing line of business, um, or they're taking the company in a new territory that doesn't naturally fit into a, any existing line of business or business unit. So, um, uh, we're definitely, I'd say that the rise in this has really been the last five or six years, max. Um, and um, so again, it's that terminology of venture builder, venture studio, or new ventures arm. Uh, and so that's the group who, um, uh, and often, where does it report up and into? Uh, maybe the office of the CEO um, or the head of innovation or whatnot. Um, and so looking at the structure and the talent, maybe one last point I'd make is how you're capturing entrepreneurship, right? Right. Yeah, entrepreneurs inside your big company, where do they go? Right? Where do their ideas go to go get life to them and to explore them? Um, we have one, I'll, I'll give you one example there. Um, DNA, uh, DNA in Japan, a uh, company that's been around for 20 plus years and made their money originally in gaming. So it's like, a, um, it's a, a, a uh, has a portfolio of technology-related ventures. They decided to launch a venture studio, um, and it's known as Delight Ventures today. And that was one of the things that it does is it helps the entrepreneurs at DNA, if they have an idea, they can then approach the studio, and if it's accepted, gets funding, and you know they, they their day job now becomes building that new venture. Um, and it has a, a, a venture arm now attached and associated with it as well. So anyways, that's just one physical manifestation, an example of here's an existing successful corporation and they realize, you know, it, that, that next wave of, of new ventures, you know, maybe one path for that and to capture those entrepreneurs is to have this vehicle, this channel, this platform uh, for them to go to and then, you know, get the, the resources backing and, and um, that they need to bring it again, bring that idea to life. Yeah, do you do you think we'll see a lot more of that, or do you think these companies see that as so complicated they'd rather just go acquire something? You know, they're like, I'd rather acquire this thing than try and like build something new because they they just struggle to build the whatever it is new. Yeah, I think I think it'll be both. So it, I think we would certainly say it's not an either or decision. Yeah, um, I think if you look at the dollars uh, allocated towards it, it'll still be higher in the M and A. Right. Sure. Go go do a hundred million dollar or a billion or a ten billion dollar deal, but I think we'll see. I, I think venture studios and venture building. I think the thing that they're actually displacing more so today, and if we fast forward ahead, are corporates participating in like accelerator programs, 
So if you're familiar with that, right, which mm -hmm. is, hey, let's get together, you know, in some cases, maybe the accelerator program is for a single corporate, but often mm -hmm. it was, here's our accelerator program, it's mobility, you know, let's go get 10, 15 mobility related corporates to back it and to help work with those startups. And I think the accelerator model, you know, it's been around for 15, 20 years, mm -hmm. but I think a lot of corporates did that and, and, um, you know, maybe it felt good and it was checking a box right of what are you doing for innovation well we're a part of an accelerator program but the meaningful substance what did you get out of that three years later was often a couple of pilots with startups and so i think um i think this is part of the maturation i, I think so I, mm -hmm. and i so i've actually seen that in kansas city so there's been some accelerators and some of them were thematic there was like one that was banking related one that was healthcare related and and um, I can't remember who all the companies were involved, but like there was a local bank here that was kind of a, a higher technology bank. Like they had a lot of the APIs and a lot of different things you would need to build on top of. And so, yeah, they they had like their own, you know, 10 companies that went through the accelerator and they basically helped fund them, gave them access to all their APIs and all the different things they would need to do to build fintech products on top of them. And I think I think that's another really great way to work is you know like hey we have a platform we can give you a little bit of funding come build on top of us right like do some new cool thing on top of us and um i think that's a really great way to do this for those that have like a platform that you could build on top of that way i completely agree yeah and especially if you've got that true when we say platform we're not using the metaphorical sense it's the true technology platform yeah and <laughs> attracting the right attracting the right emerging companies to say look here's access here's the apis come build uh, right. on top of this. And that's a very tangible, um, uh, um, you know, value add in both directions. Um, yeah, I, I can absolutely. tell you, for, for me, when I was at Macrobee Adobe, it, that was a software platform. We were investing in startups who were building on top of our platform, right? So they, it was like, you're building on top, you know, let us resource you with investment dollars, because if you're successful, obviously that drives more adoption and usage and goodness and ultimately revenues for us as the big platform yeah. operator and owner. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I do want to remind everybody, if you need to hire software engineers, testers, or leaders, FullScale can help. We have the people and the platform to help you build and manage a team of experts. When you visit FullScale.io, all you need to do is answer a few questions and let our platform match you up with our fully vetted, highly experienced team of software engineers. At FullScale, we specialize in building long-term teams that work only for you. Learn more when you visit FullScale.io. Well, I really appreciate having you on the show today. Um, as we wrap up the show, I was curious if you have any, any other kind of final tips for you know entrepreneurs out there listening to the show today. Yeah, uh, maybe I would just make a few quick comments about uh, you know entrepreneurs because you know a good chunk of the conversation today was you know, uh, from the corporate lens. But as an entrepreneur, if you're selling into corporates, you know especially on a strategic sale, it's really it, the the advice of uh, make sure that who you're talking to is at the right position and, and has the ability uh, to you know make decisions and deploy capital. You know, a lot, often the entrepreneurs will say, gosh, I spent all of this time uh, navigating the corporate. I thought I got to the right person, but I didn't qualify uh, that in fact that was the right audience. And then if you get in chest deep on, okay, we're gonna go work for the next three months and here's the pilot, here's the proof of concept or whatnot, defining success. Uh, at the front end of, hey, if we do this together and this is the out outcome of that pilot, what then happens? 
And so it's really expectation and sessioning and, and defining. And so it's putting in that work to make sure you've navigated to the right group or individual to engage with. And then once you get underway, ensuring that expectations are aligned. And, you know, again, all of that is is how to be successful as an entrepreneur working with a corporate, because if done right, um, we know it could mean, you know, a, 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 an acceleration of your trajectory. Uh, success is defined by you know, revenues and a, a highly noteworthy customer that can then lead you to others. And so just that last bit of advice of, of, of you know, entrepreneur corporate success, it's, it, we, as we all know, it's a two-way street. It takes both it's, sides, but, you know, here's a way to help ensure you're going to invest that time and energy uh, that uh, the, the potential and the, the uh, what it could mean on the back end um, is uh, that you're aligned. Yeah. And I've, I've been down this path. My first company, um, one of the first things we did is we had like a big partnership with a company that was not automotive. It was like the very, one of the very, very biggest companies automotive uh, that most people have never heard of. It's like a multi-billion dollar company and they were going to resell our software. Um, we'd figured out a partnership that made sense and they were going to resell our software. And we spent like the next year trying to get them to do that and whatever. And for a long list of reasons, it never happened. And that that's the other thing is like you don't want to put all your eggs in that basket either because you just you never know it's like one go to market strategy right like those kind of partnerships and um, for us if if we would have bet everything on it we would have just died. Yeah, that's uh, an excellent point, truly. And um, yeah, yeah. And so often I think, all right, I got this partner. Boy, they're just going to start reselling me. You know, that's fantastic. And we all know partnerships also take a lot of care and feeding oh, yeah. you know, day in, day out, week in, week out. And so you're making a big investment in your time. And to your point, Hey, it's one of your quiver. You're going to, you're going to sell direct and hopefully partnerships can augment that. Yeah. Uh, and I think the, there's also the saying, if you got to be able to approve, you can sell yourself first yes. you know, repeatedly before you can expect a, a partner to be able to do it for you successfully. Yeah. It's always hard to get that big corporate partner to, focus on you and focus on what you want right. them to do. And they've got a million other things to do too. So, well, you thank you it. so much for being on the show today. Um, again, this was Neil Hatch with um, the Silicon Foundry. It's sifoundry.com and uh, Neil Haunt, Haunt sorry. Um, thank you so much for being on the show today. And um, anything else, Neil? No, thank you. And I'll just, I'll, I'll sign off as we started. Uh, happy holidays. And here's to uh, everyone hitting the ground running and, and a, a strong environment as we uh, head into 2023. All right. Thank you so much for your time today, sir. Thank you. Startup Hustles brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time.